Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather, and today I am joined by a wonderful, wonderful human, human, Elise. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> I'm so happy to have Elise on the podcast. We connected through Instagram, um, and I've, I had a quick chat with her. Um, she's doing some incredible things in the space for survivors as well. So I'm so excited to have you on to to tell your story, but to also to tell us a little bit about what what you've got coming up. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I'm living my um, podcast fantasy, so thank you for <laughs> letting that come alive. <laughs> yeah, so um, my name's Elise. Um, I study youth work um, and I am the founder of a fundraising night for sexual violence victims called Making Noise Standing with Survivors. Yes, and I am so incredibly excited to see that come together and hopefully to attend when, when it comes in. I know You'll that be there. You'll be there, hun. <laughs> I know that tickets will be hot off the press, so but we'll yeah. make sure that we share all of that with everybody as well. And it's just so incredible to see so many survivors being able to create these spaces, you know, more and making noise is supposed to be more of a positive light, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So I think a lot of the events surrounding sexual violence are very much characterized by this kind of anger and frustration and sadness, which is all completely, absolutely valid. But we wanted to do something a little bit different, I guess. And um, this night is, is about celebrating the bravery and tenacity of women. And when I say women, I include trans women in that. It's 2021. Let's get together. Um, yeah, the tenacity and bravery of women who have experienced sexual violence. Um, we're not about re-traumatizing people. It's absolutely focused on the women and how they are actually able to get out of bed and face the world because that's really, really hard to do when you go through a significant trauma. Like getting out of bed, having a shower, that's an absolute win. Like, so yeah, we, we're not, 
we're not delving into the stories so much. We acknowledge it, absolutely. And we are absolutely paying no focus to the perpetrators. We just want this to be a night of joy and love and inclusivity. And um, I think it's going to be really special. I hope so. Absolutely. Well, of course it is. I mean, I'm going to be there. So, yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, it's going to be great then. And I think that it's great to celebrate everybody that comes in. And, you know, everyone's at their own journey, but celebrating who we are and that this isn't going to take away from who we are, um, mm-hmm. I think it's an incredible thing to do. So, I can't wait. I can't wait to share more with everybody as well about it. So thank you so much for creating that. You're not just the creator and founder of that. You are many, many things as well as you just said, you're studying youth as well. So do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah. So I am on Wurundjeri country, which is a part of Melbourne. I've been here my whole life. I think I really started to get into advocacy when I was diagnosed with bipolar one um, when I was about 21, I would say. Um, And so, yeah, I I have bipolar one and I went through a five-year drug addiction and I'd seen what happens when you don't let it out. I've seen it firsthand for myself, the detriment that it can cause to keep it inside. And I thought, you know, if this shit thing's going to happen to me, why not make the best of it and try and help other people? So I've always been very vocal in my mental health and my drug addiction battles. Um, And also I'm just a naturally open book like I don't care what I'm sharing everything like I my social medias are like my diaries sorry about it I apologize but yeah so that's really where I started becoming an advocate I would say and then um throughout that time of receiving support for my bipolar addictions Um, I was raped twice within the span of, um, I would say three years. The dates are very foggy for me because, you know, I've repressed that. And then I don't know, I didn't, I never saw myself as an advocate for sexual assault because I thought I didn't have the training or I didn't, I didn't like, why would I do it? Do you know what I mean? This year has been almost like a renaissance of the um, gender equality movement and it's been absolutely cataclysmic what Grace Tane, Brittany Higgins, um, the lady that we know as Kate, what has happened from that and I thought yeah I'll fucking do this. (laughs) Like I'm all about turning lemons into lemonade I think. Absolutely. I think I'm exactly the same and I'd rather give everything my all and fail something or or it not succeed than than having not tried at all. But I think I felt the same way very much. I'm so glad that this has come out like this for you. So you've you've gotten to this space where you feel empowered. And I know that the politics surrounding Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame and everything has been quite overwhelming for so many people as well. But for that to be pushed into the zeitgeist at the moment and for that to be having the ripple effects that it is on the community where people are coming into their own power and really taking on their own from this, I think that's a really wonderful place to be. Yeah, it's it's really, of course, all of this stuff that is happening is absolutely horrible, but it's also given people the self-determination and the agency to fight for their rights, for their human rights. 
And I think that's a really positive thing. But, you know, you were just talking about, you know, it's coming into the zeitgeist. And there is this kind of like cyclical nature. I think we spoke about this when we last talked of when there will be a high profile state rape case. And it is usually a white woman because of the absolutely entrenched racism in Australia since colonization. Unfortunately, women of color, they just don't make headlines even though women of colour and trans women are disproportionately affected by sexual violence, which is just disgraceful. And, yeah, so this high-profile case will come about. Everyone's really angry. Everyone's, you know, on social media. Women are opening their wounds again and re-traumatising themselves and saying, this happened to me, like the whole Me Too movement. And then all of a sudden it sort of trickles away. And people don't care about it as much. It's more like, oh, why are vegan-based products in the meat section or something really stupid like that? Like, no one gives a fuck. I personally don't. But um, it n- people don't care about it anymore. And I remember this from, like, Jill Ma. That's when I think this kind of gender inequality, sexual violence kind of thing sort of came into my consciousness. Yeah. And, yeah, that's why we really wanted to like hit the ground running straight away with making noise because we didn't want it to fall out of the people's zeitgeist, the people's consciousness. But COVID, Miss Covidina had um, other plans for us, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, we're pushing it to next year, which is, it's good because, you know what, we have more time to organise. We have more time to get some amazing talent and all that. So it's going to be an even better night, a better night than we we expected it to be. So. Absolutely. And you're so right, I think, mentioning Jill Ma. For many of us, I think that was one of the first, you know, Absolutely. for many women our age. So for those of you who don't know who Jill Ma is, Jill Ma was a woman who was living in Brunswick. Um, in Melbourne, Australia. Um, And about 10 years ago, she was walking home from work drinks with her friends, um, from work drinks with her friends, and she was walking home alone. Um, She was passed by a man who had just recently been put on bail and she was um, sexually assaulted and murdered by him. I think in the media as well, it was a very hard time because during that case, I think everyone truly until she was found believed that her partner had done it. And we you know, yeah, we can all understand that. The same thing with poor little um, Cleo who went missing, but thank God she's we've got her yeah. back now. We that, never that was a, that was a miracle. Yeah. Man. So these are those things that I think have shaped a lot of the community that we live in as well, mm. in terms of it becoming a problem that we need to address and people understanding that it's not safe. But I remember even from this, it's it's from Jill Ma walking home and being killed. That turned into women can't walk home, not men's violence against women, not, you know, Absolutely. it's not a male violence problem, it's a women's safety problem. And, and I think those are the types of things that I'm glad to see you doing what you're doing because it's changing the narrative in a way and Mm. I think that that's how we need to frame it it can't always be that women need to stay home I mean we can't stay anywhere we need to change it nowhere is safe when you think about it like majority of murders and stuff like that are done by your partner if we were to say hey women you just stay at home you can't go anywhere like what is what does that say for us what it's just it's again goes to that whole victim blaming thing and even I was thinking today like you know she asked for it that doesn't make sense logically if it's rape because you don't ask to be raped therefore like rape would be null and void if you ask for it right 
so I, I, it doesn't make sense to me how this can happen. Yeah, I, I am very happy to share my story. I think I'm at a place now that I can do that publicly. But I also think that it's really important to know that you don't have to share your story on a public scale, be it social media or anything like that, to validate your story. Your story is valid. Um some people choose, like us, to cho- choose to speak publicly about it. Um, but I just want the women out there to know that if you don't want to talk about it in a public forum or, you know, there's no shame in that. And I don't think you should feel on the outer, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. And I saw, like, I've been reading a bit of um, news today and like, yeah, the toll it's taken on Grace Tame, constantly having to relive her story. There's only so many times that you can do that, I guess, unless you're really, really comfortable with it and you're from, you're coming from a really place of, like a place of heal, healing or whatever. But I'm really tired. I'm tired of, of women having to prove that they should that this should be addressed, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. It's sad. It definitely is. But I think with so many powerful women taking front and center stage and making sure that this is on the agenda, I think is a wonderful step forward. I think we're in the Absolutely. best place we've ever been in. So I think we've been led by so many powerful women. Um, now maybe they don't have to, to hold as much of the burden anymore. Mm, we are all here yeah. to support them as well as a collective. But yeah, I think absolutely. that's a good segue as well. Do you mind telling us where in your life you were, where where your first assault happened to you? Yeah, sure. So um, I I just wanted to add, like, I really believe in fate and the universe. Um, literally last week was five years since my first rape. And now we're like, as we're recording this, we're coming into 16 days of international activism against gender-based violence. So I think that I just wanted to mention that, put it out there. I think it's really weird, but it's like yeah. kind of perfect. It's a great like um, alignment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so my first rape happened in 2016. Um, so I was 21, I think, if a math works out. Um, I was at a pretty well-known nightclub in Melbourne um I met this boy everything seemed really good he was really nice um he we exchanged instagrams a bit of kissing all that kind of stuff and then it came up do you want to go to a hotel and I was like okay yeah sure let's let's go and get frisky whatever um and then as soon as we left the club, red flags everywhere. Um, and I can view that in hindsight. I can see that. But also in the moment, I saw those red flags, um, which I think is really interesting. So as we were walking down the steps to go outside, um, he saw someone that he knew and they both nodded at each other. And it wasn't like a, hey, like my brother, whatever. It was a more sinister nod. Um, And I just thought in my head, that's weird. Anyway, trying to find a hotel room on a Saturday night in Melbourne in the city is very hard. So um, we couldn't find a place. And he was getting progressively 
angrier and angrier. And he was also very coked up, by the way. Um, there was just such a change from when he was in the club with me to when we were outside. Anyway, so for some reason in my head, and I know what that reason is, is that I wanted to be validated by him. Um, I said, let's go back to my house, which I'd never done before. I was living with my mom and my sibling at the time. And he's like, okay. So we grabbed an Uber. Um, he wouldn't look at me at all in the Uber. He wouldn't touch my hand or anything like that. And I was going, I was thinking, what's, what's going on here? And then, so I said, like, do you have any protection? And he said, um, no. And he got really angry. And when we had to stop off at 7-Eleven and we stopped off at 7-Eleven, he goes like, throw some cash at me and goes, off you go. And I said, what? And he goes, go and get it. I'm like, no, you go and get it. And he's like, well, fine, whatever. So as you can see, so many red flags. We get to my house and I guess the whole sexual encounter begins. And it was violent. It was very violent. Um And there was many points where I said no, Um, but my head was pushed down into a pillow. And so I went into the freeze reaction and I, I, because I honestly thought in that moment, um, if I don't, if I don't stop like fighting, he is seriously going to hurt me or kill me. Um, So I just, I just was limp. I was pretty much, I don't know if I was dissociating or I don't know. I just stopped because I knew that was the easiest way to survive. Anyway, he's, he's finished, whatever. Um, and he goes, I'm not staying, you know. And I go, I don't want you to. And he goes, well, are you going to walk me out? And I go, no, you can walk yourself out. And so I'm really glad when I look back, I had that fire because I knew what had happened and I was angered. But the really, this makes me emotional, sorry. The really hard part that I remember from that night is after he had left, I was crying, like naked, crawled up in a ball. And my sibling came into my room. I don't know what she heard or anything like that. But she goes, what's wrong? And I said, I think I've been sexually assaulted. And this is, I love my siblings so much, but she's not one to show emotion. And the the way her face absolutely dropped and she just burst out crying, that's a memory that is absolutely imprinted on my brain till the day that I die. That's uh, obviously, you know, I, I remember the violence of it all, but seeing her face like that um, was so heartbreaking. And she goes, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I'm going to my friend's house. So I went to my friend's house and I got as high as I possibly fucking could. So I couldn't, I couldn't, because I couldn't deal with those emotions at that time. 
Um, yeah. So the next day I went to my friend's house that um, I'd gone out with the previous night. This is like a, a, a factor that plays into both of my rapes was I had to check with someone if I was raped. I, I told my friend the story and I, I, I had to say, you know, was I raped? And she's like, yeah. So I, I literally did not have the words to tell my mum, so I had to get my friend to tell her for me. And I think it's very difficult um, to hear that about your daughter or your son. And I think a, a lot of people, the majority of people don't know how to react to that. I love my mum. Like, she's my best friend, truly. But she was doing a bit of victim blaming. And, and, and you know what? I, I don't hold it that against her at all. I, and she's been such an amazing support. But I think, you know, there needs to be a discussion about how we support these people when they come forward with a disclosure like that. She pretty much was like, you know, after the whole, like, what were you doing? You brought him into my house, all this kind of stuff. Um, she was like, what's his name? And all I could remember was the name of this person. I'm like, I've got his Instagram. Let me check. And it, it had gone. The oh. Instagram had gone. Yeah. So he'd blocked um, you. Yeah. And I couldn't find it anywhere. There was a discussion about pressing charges. And I said no. I think I said no because I know what happens when women get on the stand in these sorts of cases. I didn't want to go through that. I knew it was very unlikely that I would get a verdict that would be, you know, that person is guilty. Um, and a part of me, I don't know what it is. It may be internalised misogyny or I don't know. I didn't want him to get in trouble. I don't know what that is. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I literally was like, you know, I, I don't want it to ruin this person's life. Um and so that was the end of that. And I remember the next day I was, I was studying musical theatre at a pretty um, prominent performing arts school and I told the teachers what had happened and I think it was five minutes of like, are you, oh, you okay? Do we need to call the police? And then it was never brought up again. Or maybe I would get like, you know, one of those pity smiles or something like that, but it was yeah. absolutely never brought up. And it makes me feel sick because this is a school that now claims itself to be very, you know, mental health orientated, all this kind of stuff. And I really hope it is for the sake of the students that go there. But for me, um, no one gave a shit. So that was, that was my first rape. Um, I was recommended by my health professionals and my psychiatrist and my psychologist that I don't do therapeutic work around this subject because I was very, very unwell with bipolar. I was um, rapid cycling, like each day would be different. Either I'd be completely manic or I would want to kill myself. And trust yeah. me, I've tried. Like, And, you know, as a result of these, this event, you know, I was smoking way more. Anything to numb what was going on, I guess. Um, and I absolutely stand by the decision that my, my doctors made um, because I was already on the, the brink. 
of, you know, wanting to, like, I wanted to kill myself. Absolutely. Nearly every day it crossed my mind. Um, and I spent the majority of my early twenties in psychiatric wards or rehabs. Um, so that was the best decision for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so, glad that you made that decision with them as a part yeah, of it, your, yeah. It um, wasn't something that was forced at all. It was like, we just don't recommend it. And I, yeah, absolutely stand up by that decision. But that's so hard for you as well in the sense like you know what's going on, you've got a brain, like you can still think about it but you can't work on it and you're also dealing with a really, really complex diagnosis and also the way that you're feeling within that diagnosis. I mean, if you're saying some days you're manic, some days you're so heavily depressed, you're suicidal and each day is different, you're also taking drugs. Like it's, it must have been such a hard and confusing time for you and to have that happen, you must have just felt so confused and lonely. And I can't imagine what that must have felt like in that time for you. It it was it was a shit show. <laughs> it was a shit show. Um, I honestly did not think I'd make it to twenty six. How old I am now? I didn't think I'd make it to twenty three. Yeah. Um, so I'm very grateful that I am alive um, because it was really touch and go there for quite a while. But, yeah, absolutely confusing. While I didn't have professional help with it and I I was in psychiatric wards, the thing is um, a lot of people that are in psychiatric wards have experienced sexual assault and sexual violence. So it was very healing to hear from other people and that I was not alone. Um, It was it was a bit of a saving grace, I think, um, to have that connection with other people. Yeah, kind of like a your own support group in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, that happened. That yeah, that old chestnut. And then I think it was like this is very the time I've repressed it a lot, so the time is very kind of um, muggy to me. I believe it was three years later or two years later. I can't remember. But um, I was at a a club, like a a bar in uh, in Melbourne Central and um, with a friend and we were having a great time. I was completely fucking drunk off my face and I was loving it. Like I was, I was having a great time anyway. Um, because I was constantly looking for men to validate my value. Um, I hooked up with this guy, um, who was really lovely, really nice. And it wasn't quite as obvious to me what was going to happen this time. It really um, caught me by surprise, I guess. We ended up taking a taxi to his house and he was he was with his friends speaking another language. So that already makes you feel like kind of like, okay, <laughs> like I don't know what they're saying. They could yeah, be a bit left talking out. about me. Yeah. A bit left out, yeah. Um, anyway, we were there at his apartment, smoked a joint, um, And so I was completely off my face, absolutely off my face to the point where I could not consent. And we had sex and I remember feeling like a rag doll, an absolute rag doll. 
I was being like <laughs> thrown about, I guess. This was pretty fucked up. Not like the whole, both of them were very fucked up, but um, I said to him before, do you have um, protection? Again, the question comes up um, because I can't go on the pill just because of my mental diagnosis and how it um, interacts with my other medication. And he's like, no, but it'll be okay. Like I'll pull out essentially. And I was like, yeah, again, pretty incoherent, feeling like a rag doll. Again, zoning out, like not, not being there in that moment. He finished inside of me, which I told him absolutely not to. I'm not on the pill. And as soon as he finished inside of me, he took photos of his genital, of my genitals, sorry, and sent them straight to his friends. I told him not to, obviously, but that happened. So that was, that was incredibly degrading. It was very degrading. And he was laughing at us like it was no big thing. And yeah, I was, as I said, I was very, very drunk that night. You know, when you're really drunk and you go to sleep and you're fucking out like a lie. I did not sleep one minute that night. I just don't know. I can't remember what was going through my brain, but it was, it was not good. I was, I was not in a good place. This guy, I don't know if he realized what he did to me was illegal because he drove me home and acted like everything was nice. And like, we had a great time and all that. And so I went and got the plan, uh, plan B straight away. And then a couple weeks after, maybe a month or so, started feeling really sick, um, vomiting, all that. I get a pregnancy test and I'm pregnant. Uh, I remember being in shock because I wasn't having sex with anyone else at that point. Um, and I had not um, since that incident. It was pretty fucking shocking because you don't think that's going to happen to you. Like I think all of this kind of stuff, you don't think it's going to happen to you. It's, it happens to someone else, not you. And I made the decision, which I did not take lightly to terminate that pregnancy because A, I wasn't going to have my rapist child and B, I wasn't in a place where I could actually raise a child and like I was not in that place. That would have been so unfair to that child. So having the abortion was incredibly, that was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be because in those last moments, you know, when you're in the operating gown in this in the room by yourself and all that, I know it's crazy because it's just a little, at that point, it was just a little whatever, little alien. Or, I don't know. <laughs> I felt a connection to that child. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it was like, it was crazy because there was some something inside of me and I was getting rid of it. And so when I... I think that I'm absolutely pro-choice, absolutely, because imagine if I, if abortions were illegal, I would have been raising a fucking toddler right now. Abortions, for some people, it's quite easy. For other people, it's not. And for me, it was not easy at all to, to make that decision. And again, this, I, <laughs> I had to confirm it. What had happened with someone that I knew personally a um, really good friend of mine who had also been um, a victim survivor of sexual violence and mind you this was three years after the rape had happened yeah but it's experiencing a lot of anxiety um, because I guess 
when it happened, I didn't think it could happen. Like, has this happened again to me? Like, what? No, like, you, lightning doesn't strike twice, hun. Like, yeah. this is not happening. And so I told her, and she confirmed what I knew instinctually to be true. That's the moment when I was like, because I was a lot doing a lot better mentally. Um, and that was the moment where it was like, okay, I'm ready to get help for these things because I've been repressing them so much. And in hindsight, I look back and everything was made worse because of these rapes. I, my mental state was much more chaotic, I guess the word is. And, um, I was definitely going more into the suicidal ideation and my drug use went up like 10,000 because I was in the moment. I don't think I knew what I was trying to repress. And I, and it wasn't just the whole, like it wasn't, I wasn't just trying to repress the rapes. It was also the, 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 the knowledge that you have um, bipolar forever. Like that's also like something that is like something you have to kind of grieve, I guess. But yeah, it, it absolutely skyrocketed. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And I'm like, okay, I, I can't live like this anymore. I, I don't want to. I don't want to live like this. So I organized with my psychologist in tandem with my psychiatrist that I would work with Kaza. Kaza is fucking fantastic and my worker is amazing. Um, but it's norm- it's quite a lot, lot long wait to get an appointment. Um, but I was really lucky in that they knew my situation and they I pretty much got in within a month, which is luck, like so lucky. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now I'm working with Kaza, um, which has been incredibly healing and beautiful and hard and yuck. And also like, it's all of the things, right. But it's also given me the sex education and the consent education that I never got. I went to a Catholic all girls school. And we had um, our sex consent education in year 11 or 12, I think. And it's like, baby, the train has left the station for a lot of us. Like, it's too little too late, right? So it's been incredible to learn about these things. Like, I'm 26 years old and I didn't know about, you know, the line of consent. Like, I didn't know about pressure and compliance and all this kind of stuff. So it's really been enlightening, I guess, for me. And validating, I assume, as well. So you can reflect on your experiences and go, they weren't just a bad experience, that they were sexual assault and you were taken advantage of and you were violated by those. So you've got that validation almost in your mind, I think, as well, where you can say, no, that something wrong did happen and you've got that validation there. Yeah, because you do. You gaslight yourself. You're like, no, maybe it was consensual or maybe it was this or whatever. You gaslight yourself. It was. It was validating to be like, yeah, that happened to you and that was not okay and it's never okay. Absolutely. And I couldn't, yeah. um, like, Kaza as well. I, I saw Kaza um, in Melbourne, the Centre Against Sexual Assault, uh, following my assault and I didn't like them. I think I had a trainee and I was a child, so it was a very different environment. But they did provide services to my mum. She went in for regular really? counselling and she thought it was wonderful. I think they provide a lot more services than just for the victim survivor themselves. I think they do actually provide counselling services for family members and things like that that are coping with and dealing with these things too, which I thought was incredible. There was yeah. one day I remember my mum was driving us to school and she just couldn't stop crying. She, she could yeah. not stop and she was like, you know, it was kind of worrying, you know, <laughs> you could crash the car, babe, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but she just couldn't stop. And I think that's when she recognized she needed help coping with this because you also, you know, like you said before, your parents don't want to hear this to a degree and they don't know what to do. They don't think it's going to happen to their kids. So we're all need help through these situations. And they were, they were really incredible for my mom as well, but you know, yeah. there's a lot that you can get out of these services. And I'm just gl- glad that you're in a place now where you can work through some of that. Yeah, absolutely. I like, you need to, if I feel there's like three things that will 
get you kind of not you can't cure this shit like trauma mental illness grief and loss um disability it's not it's not curable but you can learn to live with it and for me um it was professional support and i am very lucky that i come from a family that is able to um to afford private health insurance so that in itself is a massive privilege that not everyone gets informal support my friends my partner and three is self reflection and that's where it's really really important i think um to acknowledge that you know i hear like when i when i'm studying youth work i hear like a lot of people say i'm here to save lives and i go mm, you're not a paramedic babe you're not a you're not a surgeon <laughs> you know um because what i feel is that that takes away from the power of the person who has saved their own life um i saved my own life i definitely had help we all need help but i did it no one else but me so i think it's really important to own that if you are a victim survivor um because that's incredible that's incredible and yeah i think it's like it's kind of like when you when you experience these traumas and stuff like that at the start it can feel like i like to picture it like a massive like boulder like a rock i guess and with all those three things that i just said you slowly slowly start to chip away at it time and that's very hard when you're an impatient person like me i'm like i want to be healed i want to you know take me jesus i want to be healed <laughs> but um it takes absolute time and slowly that rock will, that boulder will like chip chip away chip away until it's just like a pebble um and you can put that pebble in your pocket and it's there and sometimes it feels heavier some days and then sometimes it feels lighter but it's a lot easier to put a pebble in your pocket than a fucking boulder let me tell you it's too much so that's the way i like to view it and I think you know doing this stuff and I don't know if you feel the same way but being the founder of this kind of this fundraiser I really want people to know that I am not healed <laughs> I am not cured of my um sexual trauma that's it's just not going to happen for me um and like because we're all we're all works in progress until the day we die essentially um so yeah I don't have my shit together <laughs> like sometimes I do I've got a google calendar now does that count I don't know <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> like I've got that so I'm like oh yeah let's go um but there are days when I can't get out of bed there are days where sometimes I go to that suicidal ideation absolutely there's nights where I wake up screaming because i've had a flashback but you know i have a beautiful beautiful supportive partner who i've been with for 4 years i think um, i don't know don't really care no i'm joking um <laughs> long time long time long time um who knows exactly what to do when that happens and that is play to play i am light by india ari and get me a cup of peppermint tea <laughs> 
and he will do that willingly and lovingly. So I'm very, very lucky, I guess. But yeah, I wanted to really like state that I am not, I'm not, and I'm not a professional in terms of sexual violence and dealing with that. I'm absolutely not. I'm just a, a, a gal who wants to share her story, wants to empower other people and have a good time. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, what you just said was so powerful in the sense of, you know, it's you that's done the work. That's something that I say so often because it's so important to me that people recognize that they're not in the place that they are today because somebody did something bad to them. They are in the yeah. place today because they have worked their fucking asses off. They did. Yeah. Not because you're not in the place that you are because of the actions of the perpetrators. You know, that that's not something to be thankful for. We're not thankful that they hurt us. We're thankful that we were able to be strong enough, and a lot of people aren't, to be able to work as hard as we have to get to these stages. And you're right. I'm not 100% healed either. And nobody ever will be. But no. my the impact that the mental trauma that this has had on me throughout my life, they don't last as long and they hurt less and less over time. And yeah. I am less and less disabled by the trauma. And I'm more and more empowered in my own right in a lot of ways. And I think that's such a wonderful thing to make sure that we give ourselves a fucking break but also acknowledge that we've done a lot. Even though you have those days where you feel shit and you don't leave the couch and I, you know, just watch The Simpsons or something, there are those <laughs> days and, and that's okay. That doesn't mean you've taken a step back. It doesn't mean you're less than either. It doesn't no. at all. And there are two things yeah. I guess I wanted to to touch on from from what you said in your stories as well. I think the first thing as well that you said, in in the sense of you feeling guilty about this person, I think what's important to me is that we all acknowledge that we're human beings. We have this mindset, and I'll always say it, about somebody who abducts you in the, in a crazy middle of the night and you're not going to have any any care for them in the world. But a lot of these people aren't all bad people. You don't want to do an awful thing to them, even though because you, I think as well in a lot of ways you don't reconcile that it's a bad thing that's happened to you. So you don't want to go ahead because you're worried about them because you care. You're an empathetic yeah. person. So, you know, I remember Bellamy was on here and and she said the same thing. That was one of the reasons she didn't go ahead with the prosecution was because a part of her felt, you know, so incredibly guilty. And on reflection now the feelings have changed. But at the time I think as well that's okay and acknowledging that, how powerful that must be for people listening to this now who feel the same way and just can feel at least validated to know that they're not the only ones that feel like that. Yeah, I hope so because it was a very conflicting feeling to have because you're like everyone thinks you should be outraged and all that kind of stuff. And I am an empath to my detriment sometimes. But, yeah, absolutely the feelings have changed and I will never get justice for what has happened to me, but I'm not seeking that anymore, I don't think. I'm seeking justice for all. <laughs> I'm seeking an attitudinal shift in the way that we perceive women and the way that we are living in a world, a patriarchal society where if a man is respectful and everything like that, he gets a gold star. No, that's you're doing the, the bare minimum. You're doing the bare minimum by being a, like a respectful person. 
So, and I, it's, it's, there's this whole dichotomy of like, you know, the, the guy gets the gold star for being respectful and, you know, not raping women. But, you know, if a, if a woman does something wrong, oh, God fucking help her because she's just going to get absolutely annihilated, you know, like it's just bullshit. Yeah. We had this, I had this chat. I've got a friend living with me at the moment and we went down and played a couple of games of pool down at the pub last night and we had this moment and we, I, it was very interesting for me because I've had so many people say men aren't like this in society anymore. It's the few, it's the few that act like this. And I was like, if I could, if, okay, I, love. Yeah, <laughs> if I could package up last night into what toxic masculinity and patriarchy means and the lack of respect, I guess, for women's boundaries. So we'd met these guys, they were fine. One of them like was married with kids and stuff. There was nothing going on there, but they were nice guys at the bar. So we played a game of pool with them. Fine. We were having fun. This other guy came over and was like getting in both of our faces and telling us how to do play, how to play pool. Like, oh, just hit it here, hit it here. I'm like, man, I'm like, we're smashing these guys. We're not, <laughs> yeah. they're actually winning. <laughs> so I don't need your sporting advice. Just because, you know, women can't play pool. It's no. genetically we're incapable of it unfortunately it was embarrassing and I'd said to him and my friend had said to him so many times stop leave us alone back off I'd ended up saying fuck off back off I don't need your advice and then I called him a sexist and he was just like oh you know that's very strange yeah he got very very defensive and was like oh apparently I'm a sexist now and then was getting very defensive and was getting in my face a little bit about it. I was like, well, you're not giving the men any advice. You're only giving us advice. So leave me alone, please. Um, he wouldn't yeah. accept my no. He wouldn't create the boundary. Not one of his friends, even seeing me trying to stand up to him, went got involved. After I'd walked away from him, they came up to me to be like, sorry about him. So there are a lot of very easy actions that you can play in society. We yeah. then ended up walking outside and this guy was telling us about, you know, how incredible he was for like implementing something at a football club for, for women because he respected women. <laughs> yeah, go on. And I was like, like, I'm like, good on you. Like, yeah, thank you for respecting women. And <laughs> thank then. Thank you for giving me, realising my human dignity. Thank yeah. you. Then he kept calling um, women girls and I just politely said, look, you know, it's a little bit more respectful to call women, women, not girls. And then he didn't acknowledge or accept my explanation for that. I was just like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> boys will be boys as they say <laughs> you only accept like it was just it was the perfectly packaged patriarchy <laughs> yeah in one you night your serving of it <laughs> oh it was just ridiculous but it was one of those things as well where it's just like it's so clearly showing you know a lack of understanding or care for my boundaries in any way shape or form men not standing up to other men even when they're seeing them act wrong even when they're seeing them a, a man who was like about six foot three kind of trying to intimidate me in a way. And then, yeah. you know, for somebody to turn around and be seeking gratitude and like fucking a round of applause for respecting women and then in the same breath not respecting what I had to say. <laughs> it's, like... <laughs> it's crazy. And it's like these microaggressions that absolutely permeate society and no one calls them out. Like I will call it out. <laughs> I will call it out to the point where, 
my partner and my friends have been like, Elise, like you need to stop because you're going to get in a physical fight and we can't help you. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm ready to fight. I don't care. I'm ready. Like it's just, it's, it's hard because when you have had your kind of like almost your dignity taken away from you and then you sort of gather it back and you're like, yes, I am a person and I deserve more. And you see these microaggressions happening around you, it's very hard not to attack. <laughs> for me, for me, I, I just won't stand for it anymore. There's a, maybe a point where I did, um, but now it's blatantly clear to me that I, I'm, not, I'm not taking this shit no more. <laughs> and I think I'm the same. I mean, it's all of the work that I've done as well to educate myself on patriarchy and toxic masculinity. And it's important for me to call it out. I did feel safe to a degree. I didn't feel like I was going to be physically hurt, but at the same time in those moments, you can quite clearly see that we've got a lot to do in the world. Um, so that much. guy <laughs> said he was going to listen to this podcast. So interesting. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Go and find a safe place here. Don't worry. <laughs> it's always space for learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, the other thing I did, I guess, want to say as well is that, you know, so so often with victim blaming, we do it to ourselves. Like, you know, I've put myself in that situation. I went to have sex with this man. Like you're in your young self. It doesn't matter your age anyway you should be able to sleep with whoever the fuck you want and go out on a night out and go clubbing and be promiscuous and have fun and not be assaulted. Like you shouldn't be at risk by going and sleeping with or kissing or anything with these types of people. It, It wouldn't have been hard in both of those situations for both of those men to not assault you. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It was not, something that they had to do like they I just find it incredibly sad because our mindsets often go to well you know you're sleeping around or what do you expect if you go and hook up with random guys in clubs and stuff like that and I've had people say that to me as well and I turn around and you go you know what like I don't deserve to have that happen to me like nobody does and if you turn around and like you are blaming me you are yeah straight up and it's it's crazy that you do you do think I think I think back like what was I wearing was I doing something to elicit this kind of behavior, um, and you don't you don't because there's no behavior that kind of elicits that I guess, um, so it was kind of like for me like it was it was accepting it, it and that's that's really hard to accept it. Because it's a very significant trauma. It's it's something that changes you. Mm, I wouldn't. I would say mm, it depends on your situation, but it can change you like irreparably. Like my whole life has changed because of that. But the nice thing that has come out of it, out of all that shit, is um, I found my why. And I think when you find your why. And when I say like why, I mean like your meaning. Um, and my why is helping young people, educating young people and people who are also at risk of being perpetrators. I think that's really important because 
no one really grows up and wants to be a rapist unless there's something really like cognitively going on in there. But it's it's the stereotypes you see. It's what we consume. Um, it's our environment and all that kind of stuff. So it's really important for me that early intervention is um, is a part of our learning as young people. I it's too late, like I said, to do it in year eleven. It's too late. I would be. I would like to see consent in primary schools and it doesn't have to be about sexual encounters and stuff like that consent consent isn't just about having sex consent comes in so many different forms it's in the workplace like I mean if you have an operation you have to give consent about that so and even like touching people like I am a very touchy-feely person but sometimes I need to pull myself back because I realize oh that friend doesn't really like being hugged that much and I do pull myself back. It's not hard to, do you know what I mean? So why is it so hard for you not to rape someone? Yes. Why? And these are those things about creating and uh, creating boundaries and making sure that we can teach children about boundaries. And I couldn't agree more oh. because consent education comes in so much about even arming children against predators. So if they know that, you know, these areas are just for them, um, and they are for them only unless there's an emergency or something like that, then that's an important thing that they will know. If something does happen, then they're aware of that so they can tell their parents about it. And I think you're exactly right. This this conversation needs to keep and keep and keep happening. And the more and more we bury it, by the time you've reached high school, the end of high school, you're 17, 18, most people have already like at least done something in some way. Mm-hmm. It's so late that people would have already sought the education elsewhere. So then they're seeking the education from porn and they're seeking the wrong type of information. So it's such a multifaceted problem, you know, and even if you take in current offenders, when we're not adequately putting them in jail or giving them proper sentences and and letting sex crimes go un treated basically to a degree, we're only enabling them to act with more impunity. So it's just like this huge vicious cycle that we're failing in every aspect of. So we're just breeding more and more offenders and we're not tackling them properly within the justice system when they are caught and then doing nothing about the newer generations as they come through. Absolutely. And I think like what you said about people are learning about sex through pornography and like porn is great I'm all for sex workers and all that stuff but as long as you realize that's not an accurate depiction of sex um but it's also the societal pressures that it's what you consume in your social media that's in media it's in sorry what's what you consume in your social media it's tv it's films it's it's the implication where it's like if you don't have sex or lose your virginity, I've got quote air quotes going on because virginity, what the fuck is that? Like that's just a man-made word. So it's another thing that a man can take away from you. Like fuck that shit, sorry, um, side note. Um, but, okay. yeah, it's, yeah, fully. Um, it's the pressure that, you know, if you don't have sex by this age, you're a prude or if you're in a long-term relationship or any any kind of relationship, if you're not having sex this 
this many times a week, something's totally wrong. And I think that's when it comes down to people knowing about pressure and coercion because I do know a lot of friends that, you know, may not be wanting to have sex with their partner, but they will to please them. Um, And I feel like consent is something that is, is ongoing you know, even if you're in a very long-term relationship where you know each other very well, imperative, I would say, to confirm that consent and make sure it's an enthusiastic yes. Because if it's not an enthusiastic yes, it is not consent. There's a thing that I add on to that because, you know, we've we've just recently in Melbourne in the last couple of weeks gotten new yeah. laws to talk about affirmative consent. And I do have a problem with the word affirmative. In my mind, affirmative means yes. You know, you want somebody to say yes. That opens the door, in my opinion, to coercion because Mm. if you can push someone and push someone and push someone to the point where they do say yes, well, then technically they think that you've reached the final yes. Well, that's not the case. That's coercion um, or manipulation or pressure. They're, They're not things that encompass that. But I think I try and remove almost the yes from it completely and just make sure that the consent is there enthusiastically. You know, we want that to have there. And the reason I try and remove the yes from the situation is just because I feel like a lot of people do try and push it to get to that point. Oh, please, please. And then they go, oh, finally, yeah, fine, yes. Yeah, And then they go, I just gained consent. No, you didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And how are you going to prove like the like the pressure and shit? that you feel to say yes yeah so yeah I completely agree with you I think it's a a step forward absolutely and that's great but I don't think that it is that's we can't just finish there call it a day we're done affirmative consent laws are in our job is over no it's, it's way deeper than that and I just I yeah I think for me being in a long-term relationship and now knowing what I know about consent education it has been very empowering to know that you don't always have to have sex with your partner just if you don't want to. Like that, that's the thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize. It's it's hard. It's hard when you want to please your partner and you want to make them happy. You don't want to disappoint them, definitely. But knowing that you have agency over your body and knowing that you don't owe sex to anyone, no one ever does. That's that's your it's your body, do you know what I mean? And you have complete ownership over that. So I think it's it's important to remind people this yeah. because they don't know because they haven't given the, been given the education to know. Absolutely, but around consent yeah. as well, especially with a partner and a long term one at that, you don't deserve to be guilted if you don't want to have sex. And that is yep. part of manipulation and coercion because after a long time, every time that you say no, they crack the shits at you or they don't want to talk to you, or they get upset about it, then that breeds a situation where you feel like you can't say no. So there is a lot to it, and I think it's important to understand these red flags so you can have meaningful conversations with your partner, you know, to make sure, you know, that if you do say no, that their, their response is appropriate. You know, if they want a sexual release, they can go and do it themselves. If they absolutely much, can. Yeah. You know? If you want yeah, different things outside of the relationship because that's something that you want to do and there's a barrier there, then explore that. Have those wonderful discussions with your partner. 
you know, yeah. you don't have to be a sex object for somebody and your worth is more than that, you know, and you can also no, yeah. be an incredibly sexual person. That's fine too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you can be like not interested in having sex at all. Like sexuality is just a spectrum. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it will change. Like it may fluctuate for you. Like I know for me, like I was hypersexual when I was younger and now I'm not as much. <laughs> um, so, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about finding what's right for you. And, um, and yeah, just owning that, owning that it's your body and no one has ownership over that, but you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm the same, I think as well, you know, even just with stress and monotony of day-to-day life, you know, you do lose a bit of your pizzazz maybe sometimes. So <laughs> you pizzazz. <laughs> I'm so lonely. <laughs> you lose a bit of your spice, love. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll find it. I wasn't going to find it at that pub last night, though. Let me tell you that for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm joking. It's been an, um, an absolute blast to have you on, though, Elise. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories and your insights and for telling the listeners as well about, about the things that you've got coming up. Um, I'm incredibly mm. excited to pop the link in the show notes of this episode so that people can have a read. Um, people can be aware when the tickets go on sale. That's incredibly yes. exciting. So thank you very much. I do ask everybody at the end of the episode as well, if you had one piece of advice to give to somebody, what would it be? Um, somebody who's going through something that you went through. I think the advice would be know that you are uniquely yourself and you have a beautiful shining light that the world is so grateful to see. Know that you are not alone because I fucking care about you and I value you. And time, unfortunately, time is the biggest factor in it all, which is really hard. But, um, yeah, let it out. Accept love. Accept it. And um, no, you're not alone because, you know, you've got me and Maddie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard when you've experienced these things. But um, when you find that community where you feel like you're a part of something else maybe, that's when you're really shown and you'll really grow. Absolutely. Absolutely beautiful words. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's exactly why I started the Survivor Support Network on Facebook. So if you are a survivor and you want to get in touch and join the Survivor Support Network, um, it's a wonderful place to post questions and to talk to other fellow survivors about things you might be going through, ask for advice, you know, put down things you're listening to and reading to. It's a wonderful place to just connect with people from all over the world. So um, the link for that is in the show notes for this episode as well. Um, but for now, thank you, Elise. This is Reclaim. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.